0: I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. I guess this week is not your typical CEO story, but at this point in my career, I'm actually not sure there really is a typical story anymore. In fact, in her current role, she was initially hired in to oversee operations at Village Capital, before that, had spent a ton of time in tech and communications with groups like AOL, the Case Foundation, Startup America, Rise of the Rest, and so on. She even began her time in university thinking she wanted to be in journalism before settling on corporate communications. And it wasn't until later in life that she began to pursue a deeper alignment of her values and passions with her work. Today, Allie Burns is the CEO of Village Capital, a global nonprofit that has an unbelievable reputation around the world in creatively supporting the needs of entrepreneurs, and not just any entrepreneur. They truly are at the front edge of the movement to change the system itself, that in ways makes our economy more inclusive and empowers a wider range of entrepreneurs. It's actually my privilege to serve on her board. We had a fun discussion around not just what drives her, where she came from, what inspires her, and what she's focused on, but also some profound and critical lessons for founders going through a transition, and the impact as well on the incoming CEO through the lens of a dynamic organization like Village Capital. These types of transitions can be tough and yet inevitably at some point it's going to happen. And there's much to be learned from Allie and her story.
1: I grew up in Arizona. I grew up in Tucson. So small city, um, sort of a, um, unique place to grow up. It was in many ways, super idealistic. Um, we were able to ride our bikes around the neighborhood, lots of opportunities to go hiking and be outside all the time. So, um, Outside of my work life, it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about just being outdoors and and spending time loving this country and the beauty that it has to offer. But um, I think my parents were clearly very influential in sort of how I think about wh- what I do today. Um, in some ways, um, you would think that the experience of my parents... Would have steered me away from being an entrepreneur. So my mom was a school teacher. Um, My dad was in mortgage banking for most of his career. Um, And when I was um, probably about twelve or thirteen years old, my dad decided to start his own business in the mortgage banking space. My mom eventually ended up joining him, and um, the the business did really well for some time. But then eventually ended up failing. So I watched what happens when an entrepreneur fails, Mm. and uh, it certainly wasn't a pleasant part of, of of sort of my growing up um and yet how old were you about that time? i was a, i was sort of finishing high school and in college
0: okay
1: um and yet i um always appreciated just what it took to be an entrepreneur whether or not you're successful but the the courage to say i'm going to sort of um walk away from something that's more stable and build something on my own and take a huge risk. And the upside of that is great, but the downside is as well. So um, I, I didn't really revisit that, frankly, until I got into this space. So my the first... 15 years of my career was in communications, and I was following a pretty traditional path for quite some time. So working first in PR agencies in the tech space, sort of discovered my love for the tech space and innovation and working with early stage entrepreneurs. I did a brief stint at a venture capital firm early in my career, um, and then um, eventually found my way to working for Stephen Jean Case. So I was at AOL got introduced to uh, the COO of the Case Foundation at the time, and they were looking for a director of communications. Um, I knew I wanted my career to have more meaning than working sort of at large corporates, and that was really a pivotal opportunity for me. Um, and that was really when I discovered, sort of rediscovered my appreciation for entrepreneurship, so tying together that experience of, of my parents and my dad in particular, um, with really appreciating what entrepreneurs do every day, um, and, and dedicating my career to that.
0: Yeah. Well, so this is a little out of sequence, but I kind of yeah. want to go with that a little bit. So how do you think, how do you think the experience of your parents, um, like the, the, the not so nice side of entrepreneurship, how has that shaped? I mean, cause now, I mean, you're the CEO of village capital. You so see, you work with yeah. An unbelievable number of entrepreneurs, and you're pushing forward this idea that entrepreneurship is a good thing to pursue, and that we need to make it more democratized, accessible for every type of person. Um, what? How do you take that experience of of failure? Yeah. Uh, and how does that impact? Uh, how has that impacted your? Perspective on entrepreneurship. Do you do you see yourself interacting with entrepreneurs differently considering their experience differently because of that?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that I feel so passionately that we need to create a system Where it's easier to start a company and the downside is a little less scary. It's very expensive to start a company Most people do it when they either have their own capital to do so. um, So they've built up some sort of of reserves or they have friends and family who can support them. Well, there are a lot of people with great ideas who are incredibly smart, who could go out there and start a business, but they don't have the capital to be able to do that. Even if they had the money to start up, they probably don't have the money to fail. Um, And so how, you know, I've been asking myself the question of how do we get more innovation into the early stage entrepreneurship ecosystem when there is no room for people to either start or we know that some ventures will fail and it is extremely difficult for people to, to be able to do that. Hmm. So that's sort of how I think about that's great. that experience and, and how it influences the way that I think.
0: Yeah. Today. Well, and, you know, we've been friends for quite some time. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I would just even echo is just, I think having seen failure, um, entrepreneurship is really a cool thing. And we celebrate a lot of times the winners. So I think sometimes the having experienced failure, whether personally or through a family member or friend, you are a little bit more sympathetic and probably aware of, you know, okay, this is not, this is not all glamorous. There's, there's some, some really hard things that, that these people experience as they are trying to grow something. It's very exposing to yeah. kind of, say, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. And it may or may not win or may or may not succeed. Um, and yeah. so that's probably a good, a good, uh, good lesson to have experienced in the role that you're in now. So, uh, so, so going back a little bit, uh, is there, are there a couple of, is there an, an experience or do you have a memory that's kind of stuck in your brain? from growing up, or it could be college, where you you kind of recall it. It was, uh, it was an impactful moment that really kind of shaped how you view the world. Um, and you know, it could have been a, an internship experience or a job experience or growing up a, a mentor or something where you're like, wow, that was, I remember this moment. Uh, and, it, and it's really helped shape how I think about community, how I think about work, how I think about purpose.
1: To be honest, I think that moment happened much later for me. Um, If I if I really think about it, I think I I spent a lot of my time sort of growing up um, and in school. Well, so maybe I'll talk about my journey. So I love storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually went to school to be a journalist, Um, and then I realized that journalists make no money, (laughs) (laughs) and so I I moved into PR and communications because I loved being able to talk about um, the the stories of of people who were doing meaningful things. I'm a huge sports fan, so I actually wanted to be a sports journalist. Oh, awesome. That was actually the the what's your favorite sport um, I grew up a huge college basketball fan. There you go. I'm from Tucson. Yeah, and I grew up in the Lutulson era, so <laughs> um, and and uh, in a very good time for the Arizona Wildcats. So. Cool. Um, that was probably my favorite sport as a kid, but I, I like a lot of them, um. and so I knew that that would be a thread that sort of helped take me through my career, but I also sort of was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do, I think, as I was in college, and then as I left college, like, get a good job, make enough money to, li- I lived in Boston at the time, make enough money to live okay and, and well as a, you know, 23-year-old in, in Boston, and Um, and make sure that I had a good life around me. Um, and I followed that path for some time and then I started to just feel this like tugging. So there's not a moment necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I just started to feel this tugging of, um, I really want to do something that I know is having a positive impact and influence on the world that goes just beyond innovation. Innovation for the sake of making people's lives easier for, um, for improving the way that we communicate. That's all great, but I felt like there were a lot of people that were being left behind. But I don't, there wasn't a moment until I had been working for uh, Steve and Gene and, and Revolution and the Case Foundation for some time and we started going around the country for the Rise the Rest tours. Um, and we were visiting different cities. So this was on the first tour. We visited four cities, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati and Nashville, and we were going into these neighborhoods that had been revitalized by entrepreneurship, visiting these awesome spaces, listening to the leaders in the ecosystem talk about the transformative transformative work that they were doing, um, and it was all great, except I looked around. We were, we were running pitch competitions every day. I looked at who was pitching. I looked around the spaces and realized uh, that when I was sitting in Nashville, I was like, we haven't seen... Anyone who looks like the community Mm -hmm. that has been transformed. There are no entrepreneurs of color. Um, There are very few women. Um, And we've got to change that because we're not going to transform these communities if we're keeping people out of the system. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was really a turning point of saying, um, we need to change the way that we do things and, and what has led me to do what I do today.
0: Yeah. So that's
1: great. later than college or growing up. But. No, I,
0: well, I actually think that's helpful because I think your experience is probably more common than we think. I think I've, we've, we've interviewed several people where they've, they've had these kind of early childhood experiences or mentors early on. But I do think, especially in our, in our current culture, there's this pressure you know, you graduate from high school, you go to college, especially if you, if you come from a middle-class family, you get a good job, you climb the corporate ladder. And then at some point later on, you turn around and you're like, what what am I doing this for? (laughs) And you know, I'm, I'm making decent money, but I don't feel a sense of purpose, um, or the purpose that I feel or the values that I have are not reflected in the work that I'm doing. Right. Um, and so I think that's probably more typical. So it's, it's, it's good to hear you. Uh, hear you voice that. But as a storyteller, I'm going to ask you, um, you've, you've been around the world. I mean, you've been on nonprofit boards uh, with Village Capital. You've, you've traveled extensively to Africa and India. Is there a, is there an entrepreneur just from your perspective that has really inspired you? Uh, Just their story, what they're trying to, the problem they're trying to solve um, that you're, you walked away just completely changed because of their experience.
1: Yeah. One of the entrepreneurs that I'm really excited about that's in the village capital portfolio is, um, Odin from piggy vest. Um, she started this company, um, for Nigerian millennials to help them basically build up savings through micro savings. Um, and, uh, she is an incredible powerhouse. Um, she is just she is full of energy. Her Twitter Twitter handle, I think, is like Odin Energy. Um, <laughs> That's and a good one. she <laughs> and she they are doing extremely well. Awesome. Um, they are so they've moved from just being a micro savings. They were originally called Piggy Bank, um, mm. and they've moved from being just micro savings to actually allowing people to build the, that capital through investment. So um, they are actually helping people not only save, but invest in their future. And and for Nigerian millennials, that is huge in a country that obviously struggles with um, getting people included in the financial system and have the ability to build wealth. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super inspired and excited by her. I actually didn't meet her in Africa. I met her in New York, but I have oh, known her story for some time. That's
0: great. Yeah. So that kind of takes me to Village Capital. Um, yeah. So it's a great segue. Um, so you're the CEO But you are the first hired-in CEO. Uh, You were originally not even hired for that. You were hired as the chief operating officer. Um, And there was a transition where Ross Baird um, decided to go um, do some other things and was still connected to Village Capital. But uh, you were tapped to become the CEO. Uh, Not always the easiest transition um, because, you know, you've got a founder, um, and all of the the personality that goes into building an organization, starting something, yeah, uh, to to now your your leadership. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about that transition and and some of the things you learned about yourself, um, and how that's kind of even shaped the the new vision that you have for the future of Village yeah. Capital.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a pretty well documented fact that founder transitions are some of the hardest. Uh, organizational transitions to go through um the average tenure for a post founder ceo isn't always the best um Do you know and that stat? <laughs> it's about a year and a half.
0: Oh, you passed so that. Martha. I passed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh
1: <laughs> So, yes, thank you. Um So, I think I I mean I learned a ton. Um one, I think you have to have a a great founder who is willing to say this is the time for me to step away. um, And this is how I'm going to step away and be very intentional about it. And so um, the fact I have to give Ross a huge amount of credit for um, really embracing me in the new role um, and setting up support for me And and alongside that, a great board. And this is not just me trying to give you credit for, this. <laughs> I wasn't um, looking for that <laughs> but in the spirit of full disclosure yeah. um you being the, the chair of the board um having a great board who understands how to navigate mm. that transition and the complications that go along with it um i think was critical and, and having the board be very clear to me this is this is yours mm. uh this is your vision to set we're here for you we're supporting you we're cheering for you um not uh Ross is great and uh, good luck. Right, yeah. so or um, continue
0: to do what Ross was doing. Yes, that's, that's yeah. what we want to do. So. Um,
1: and and not you know, and providing the right level of strategic guidance, but being very clear, we don't we don't want to set the strategy. It, it is your strategy to set, and ours just be supportive. Um, I think that that made a huge difference. I will say, um, coming into this role, frankly, it, there are a few things like, hey, there's no handbook for being a CEO. No one told me that. Like, there's no, like, this is your job description. This is how you do your job. This is how you're supposed to spend your time every day. So I think you, you really learn about, and and trying not to be Ross or another CEO, you know, that every CEO is different, has unique attributes that you bring to the table and understanding what those are and how you leverage those and then build the team around you um, to, to support that. Um, and so the other thing that has been great is that I have an awesome senior leadership team. Um, who are um, just doing a great job leading our programming, helping me get out of the weeds and really think about the vision for Village Capital. Um, And you asked about sort of how has that shaped my vision, I think um, I also came in at a number of other interesting inflection points for VILCAP, one being the 10 year, uh, roughly the 10 year anniversary, which we celebrated last fall, um, of the organization, and the timing to start thinking about what we're doing next on the investment side. So we have a fund that has um, made uh, 110 investments, which is um, incredible through um, our peer selection process. And we have an opportunity to build and leverage on that. and. So what we've decided, instead of thinking, uh, let's just do what everybody else does and raise a second fund that looks just like the first, that's slightly larger. We said, what is the the mission of Village Capital and how do we raise investment capital that aligns with the mission? Well, our mission is to reinvent the system to back the entrepreneurs of the future. And what that really means is that we want to try different things to make sure that we can get capital to entrepreneurs who are trying to solve really hard problems at scale. Mm. Um, And so to be able to do that, raising a second fund that looks just like the first that's a little bit larger, isn't really actually serving the mission, which is about the entrepreneurs. Um, so we've announced this family of funds strategy that's really about leveraging existing capital that's looking for companies. Um, there's a lot of money out there that is sitting on the sidelines that is looking for com- that is looking for companies who are trying to solve these really hard problems. Um, and we think we can create structures that are more entrepreneur friendly. So we're trying to better understand how we might leverage things like revenue share and other alternatives to equity to support entrepreneurs in our next vehicle or vehicles. That's
0: great. Yeah. So I I do, that was a lot. That was a lot, but it was great uh, and super helpful. I do want to actually go back uh, to some of the earlier things you just said about the transition. Cause I think I don't want to just skip over that. Cause I think if, if we're in the business of supporting entrepreneurs, every entrepreneur is going to go through that, right? Kind of this, this cycle of transition. Um, And I think there's a lot to be learned from, from your experience. Uh, And if we can kind of peel back the onion a little bit and what, what, what could be some lessons learned? And because I think it is great. It's amazing to see that you're the CEO um, and you've been the CEO for the last several years through a transition with a, with a big personality as the founder, who's still on the board and very supportive of the mission but that doesn't come without its difficulties. Uh, That doesn't come without, um, its hiccups and its headaches. So if you were talking to an entrepreneur who's struggling or this hired in CEO, what are there any, is there anything that you would tell them? Yeah. uh, Any lessons learned, um, that might be helpful for them in thinking through their own transition or stepping into someone else's shoes that they're trying to fill?
1: Yeah. Um, there's a few things, something that I only started doing recently what that I wish I had done a year ago is get to know other CEOs who have been through a founder transition. Um, Just having other people who have experienced the same type of role change um, is tremendously helpful, partially just because it's a great sounding board to say like, I'm struggling with X. Is that normal? (laughs) And usually (laughs) you find that it is, um, but also to get other ideas about how to navigate challenges that you're having. So I I think that's one thing I uh, is sort of to develop the network of peers, um, which is hard to do when you're just trying to survive the day to day sometimes. But that is a really important thing that I, I wish I had done sooner is to just get to know other people Um, to set very clear Guardrails around where you want the founders' involvement or where you don't. Um, I I I think we largely did a very good job of that, um, and uh, I but think there, were, there times. were times when I could have done a better job of just saying, I'm struggling with this, I don't know, for example, I don't know whether to receive something that Ross is sharing with me as, you should do this, you know, he was my boss, so it's very easy to be like, well, yes, I have to do that, <laughs> right, uh, and, uh, and, or like, the intention is really just to give advice, mm. and sort of setting that, being comfortable at asking that, Ross, sure. it sounds like you're telling me what to do, you're not my boss anymore, let's talk about this. Exactly. And that was something that was harder for me to do, but I think we've gotten to, yeah. to a really good place. So
0: any advice f- for the Ross, for the founder? Cause I think, I do think you're right. Yeah. I mean, like the, the dialogue has been really good, um, between the two of you in the transition. And so if you're talking to a founder, who's, who's yeah. making the transit, what would you say to them? Uh, what, what did Ross do well, or, you know, yeah. maybe Ross out of the picture, but like, how can a founder really support, What are some good principles for them in supporting the next CEO?
1: Yeah. uh, So one thing I actually disagree with that is sort of often commonly stated is that the founder should step away completely. Um, I think that the founder should be there and involved and be willing to share perspective and lessons. Because I think if Ross wasn't there, there is a lot of uh, institutional knowledge that just... And not, not to say that we wouldn't have talked if he for some reason had stepped off the board, but I just think it's such a huge advantage to have that person for on sure. the board. And I would say to a founder um, to be receptive. I think that is one of the most important things, to feedback and to the to the new CEO coming in and saying, thank you for the advice. I'm not going to take it. And everybody's okay with that, right? So it's very hard to separate emotionally for mm-hmm. a founder, your emotional attachment to the organization is, is just always going to be naturally like extremely strong. And so how do you figure out a way to separate yourself from the emotional attachment to the organization? And sometimes that means maybe reacting or responding to something after you've had a chance to really sort of think about it instead of an immediate sort of response, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Yeah.
0: Well, and the other thing, you know, as a, as a board member, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about culture, yeah. Because I think um, I think some of what you're talking about, for, from the perspective of the founder, from the perspective of the incoming CEO, from the board, is there's a cultural element, and so I think you did a really good job of like what were elements of the culture you tried to create um, <clears throat> with all of those parties involved that really allowed for um, an open dialogue uh, in in the in the in the transition. Yeah, um, that that have made it possible for you to uh, to kind of flourish as the CEO and to set a trajectory for the future that I think is is really exciting.
1: I don't know. What do you? Think?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got my own opinions, but I want to hear from you. Like, I think I think it's really important uh, that you were at least from my perspective very intentional in some ways, and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you, you you think about that.
1: Yeah, I uh, so I, I think. Coming in first as the COO really helped because I spent a lot of time thinking and, and, and Ross had really entrusted me to th- spend a lot of time thinking about the inter- internal culture at VilCap, um, And we sort of did a reset of our values um, as an organization um, during my tenure as COO. And, and one of the values that I actually think helped me personally, um, is this, uh, value we call bring your whole self. So it is the idea that you spend a lot of your time at work, um, a lot of your time with your colleagues and to try to make sure that you're transparent, um, and, um, honest, um, with your colleagues, um, I think was really helpful for me as I tr- navigated mm. the transition to, to feel comfortable being more straightforward, then I wouldn't say that's necessarily my strong suit. I'm a communications person. And so I'm often trying to find exactly the right words. And so just being able to sometimes be like, this is very frustrating and we need to resolve this. Is yeah.
0: That's good. Like, well, that's, re- that's really good. That's helpful. So now shifting forward. So now, um, exciting, exciting vision for, for village capital. Um, and what I, what I think is interesting about your earlier story and your experience in Detroit, um, is this, is this real focus on reinventing the system. So it's, it's exciting to me because everything I heard from your early story to now, what is the new kind of vision statement for village capital? It's all right there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's alley owned, if you will. <laughs> um, and i want to call attention. You had. One of your quotes that I found, um, not surprisingly, one of the attributes that we found that were correlated with a higher rate of company success was having a female founder or co-founder. And my suspicion is that it's not about women versus men; it's about diversity. And at the end of the day, diversity is a great business decision. So, as we think about as we think about this idea of, of profit business, talk to me a little bit about. Um, how you think about business, the importance of diversity, the importance of um, making sure that everyone has the opportunity to pursue what they believe is the right path for themselves and, and why that why that is a good indicator of uh, business uh, decisions that we should be making.
1: Yeah, um, a lot to unpack, but maybe I'll start with noting that The first lens for us is what problem is the entrepreneur trying to solve? So we're very focused on uh, the future of work. How do we help low and middle income workers navigate a dramatically changing workforce financial health, how do we help both low and middle income consumers and small businesses not only get included in the financial system, but actually leverage their inclusion to build a better life? Um, And then sustainability. So how are we looking at food and agriculture, health, and some of the other impacts of climate change and the role that innovation and tech can, can play in that space? So that's the first lens that we use. And the reason diversity is important in that lens is partially just lived experience. If you're only looking in a few places, at a few people then you're missing a huge opportunity to leverage lived experience of people who are living in parts of the country that don't get the majority of venture capital people who are from backgrounds that are not traditional whether it's the education that they've had or um, their gender or their race there are tons of opportunities to leverage lived experience um, that I think are really missed out on when you're only looking within a specific network yeah. typically most of the the holders of capital and the controllers of decision making on where capital goes are white men. And there's nothing wrong with white men, but their networks are largely people who also look like them. And I think that's why we've had this distribution of capital that has been really disproportionate. The thing that frustrates me is there are so much data out there that shows, as as that quote said, that diversity is a good business decision, that companies that have diverse leadership teams are perform better. There was a study that the Coffin Fellows put out recently that showed that diverse fund managers perform better. So it is agonizingly frustrating to me that we are still having this conversation when it's just been so clear um, that it's a good business decision, in addition to saying it's a missed opportunity if we're not bringing more people to the table and bringing more perspectives to the table when we're trying to solve really hard problems
0: it is. I mean, the data shows and proves, um, that these, the funds, the companies they outperform and, and yet there still seems to be uh, this mainstream, uh, mainstream, like where they just don't even consider, don't don't even consider that fact and just kind of push it to the side and discount it. Uh, are there is there anything in you, from your perspective? What what could we do uh, to overcome some of those roadblocks? Is there if Ali could be in charge of the economy or, yeah. or our nation or whatever for for a day? What what could be some things that we might really uh, address or adjust in, in order to 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 really fully live into that reality?
1: In early stage investing, I think one of the lowest hanging fruit is. LPs, frankly, if LPs say to fund managers, we want to see a more diverse portfolio, they your incentive, and, and we will only invest if we see a more diverse portfolio, then I think you can change behavior pretty quickly. I think one of the reasons we are still having this conversation, and I do think the tides are turning, the data hasn't shown it yet, and I think it will happen soon, uh, but behavior change is really hard, right? I think people know that thinking beyond—I like Gene Cases' "Reach Beyond Your Bubble" mm-hmm. philosophy from *Be Fearless*, and that reaching beyond your bubble is important and result leads to better results. And it's really hard, right? The the faster, easier, more efficient thing to do is look within your own networks. Um, but I think if there's an incentive from the people who have capital, ultimately to Change some of that behavior, you probably see those numbers change pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, with that in mind, um, I wanna I wanna talk specifically one one you brought up earlier in the in the discussion was the idea of family and friends. So, for entrepreneurs of color specifically, because of historic and systemic uh, racism and wealth inequality, uh, the first place entrepreneurs go um, is non-existent. Uh, This this family and friends network, this rich uncle or rich aunt that you can lean on to to help get you started. Uh, Communities of color have great social networks. But when those social networks don't have the financial capacity, uh, we are leaving an entire group of our uh, community behind. um, And we don't have a solution there. Uh, So talk to me a little bit about that challenge and some of the things. One, one, are are you seeing some interesting things or is Village Capital working in some interesting ways to address uh, the problems for uh, communities of color, specifically for family and friends?
1: Yeah. Uh, So yes, family and friends is a huge challenge that I think if not paid more attention to, will continue to keep people on the sidelines that could be incredible entrepreneurs building incredible businesses. I think one of the challenges is the economics. So, creating small funds at a two percent fee that are investing, you know, fifty to one hundred thousand dollars, which um, we have a lot of experience with, the economics of that are very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a you know, if you have a twenty million dollar fund and you're trying to get folks, friends, and family, you have to make you know hundreds of investments to make the the, the economics work, and how do you manage a portfolio of that size? Uh, so I think there's a question around economics that we have to figure out. Um, is there an opportunity to leverage blended finance and grant funding in the space to be able to move people into the entrepreneurial ecosystem at a more systemic level? Um, we do feel really strongly about this, and we've run a couple of pilots to focus on how to Build the, how to fill that friends and family gap. So, um, we partnered with UBS on a program called VC Pathways um, in three cities um, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, and Atlanta to identify high potential entrepreneurs, companies founded by women, black, and Latinx founders um, who were at very early stage. So, earlier than we would typically look at um, for our programs. And we provided them with our milestone-based framework, Viral, to help them understand and set very specific milestones that were then rewarded by grant small amounts of grant capital, but grant capital every time they reached one of those milestones. In addition to that, we paired them with um, folks in the UBS network, whether employees of UBS or some of their clients who have an interest in doing some angel investing don't know, necessarily know how to find founders outside of their network to be able to provide mentorship and ultimately potentially provide capital as well as angel investors. But really, the idea was how do we just expand access to social networks to the social capital that these entrepreneurs don't have because they don't have the rich uncle. So how do we create the how do we fill the gap of the rich uncle? And um, a couple of the companies have already received funding. Some graduated to come into our our typical programs. Um, so there was a company coins in Atlanta who also, who raised money through the VC pathways program and then participated in our finance forward program last year. Um, and there were a couple of other companies that went on to participate in our program. So we're, we're excited about the potential for that program, but haven't yet figured out the best way to scale that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a, a, um, a big challenge and I definitely uh, applaud the efforts to, to try to figure it out because we need it. So, um, well, so I want to kind of, I want to kind of end on uh, a question uh, given the fact that you, you kind of sh- set set in the last six months, a really um, I think interesting and aggressive vision for village capital in the next 10 years um, kind of, you know, maybe take us out on what, What are you excited about? What are some projects that that Village Capital is pressing into that you think are going to be uh, extremely uh, catalytic as we look to the future of, of reinventing the system that we talk about?
1: Yeah. So we talk a lot about how we transition from sort of a traditional accelerator into what we're calling a platform for supporting entrepreneurs who are reinventing the system themselves And uh, we're doing that in a couple of ways so that, you know, we could say we want to scale by running a bunch more village capital programs, opening a bunch more village capital offices, having a bunch more village capital funds, or we could say there are a number of incredible organizations doing incredible work on the ground in Louisville, in uh, in Accra, um, and we want to figure out the best way to leverage our own learnings to be able to impact the most entrepreneurs. And so there's a couple of things that I'm really excited about on that front. One is a platform that we launched called Abaca. Um, And Abaca is uh, leveraging the viral framework that I mentioned. So viral is venture investment readiness and awareness levels. And it allows entrepreneurs to assess their business based on how investors would typically look at their business. It's how we train entrepreneurs. The online tool allows them to basically benchmark where they are um, and match with investors who are looking for companies at at their level, essentially. And so we're trying to create efficiency at the top of the funnel to be able to make it easier for entrepreneurs to find capital and for investors to find deals and, look out, again, look outside of their typical networks. Um, so, so hopefully through that, we're able not only to dramatically dramatically expand the, the connections between entrepreneurs and investors and speed up the cycle of investment, but also open up a more diverse pool of entrepreneurs to these investors. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. The second is some work that started with a pilot that we called Vilcap Communities. And the idea was to be able to license our curriculum to other entrepreneur support organizations who wanted to leverage our peer learning environment, who wanted to leverage our decade long of experience in building this program. And what it's really become, particularly in some of the the emerging markets that we work in, is an opportunity to build really strong local ecosystems from scratch. So we have trained a number of incubator, accelerator, fund managers in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, who are working in pretty nascent ecosystems in some cases. So we have folks in West Africa, folks in Southern Africa and East Africa who are uh starting to build these ecosystems from scratch and we're giving them a leg up by providing our curriculum and the opportunity to learn best practices. So really excited about that opportunity to say, how can we really empower the local ecosystem builders who understand the entrepreneurs in that market instead of trying to dive bomb in ourselves and um, not make the mistake of what works in Silicon Valley should work in Africa that I think a lot of people have. So I'm super excited about that, too.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Ally and the work of Village Capital and leveraging entrepreneurship to drive impact at scale, visit vilcap.com. Again, if you liked what you've heard, drop us a review, subscribe, and stay tuned for next week's episode. And check out our work at accessventures.org. I'm Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.